Hello and welcome to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. I'm your host Leo, and today we are talking about Star Ocean First Departure R. Now this game is the remake of the original game that came out for the, um, I think SNES and PlayStation, and then it got the First Departure remake on I think the PSP, and then for PS4, technically now slash 5, it got a remaster of that version. So, you know, it's it's a big daisy chain of things. I do want to kind of head off the pass here with a bit of a, a warning that, one, there's a good chance I've forgotten a lot of the middle bit of the game because I originally talked about this game on RPG Hangout about two years ago. It's weird to think that it's been that long since RPG Hangout, but uh, yes, <laughs> two years ago. And in that, I kind of stopped playing because I hit a point where I felt like I had softlocked myself and wasn't able to continue decently in time to finish the game. Recently, I got a bit of a bug up my butt to actually try and finish the game and see exactly where I went wrong. I was able to see where I went wrong and continue on to the end. I literally finished it like today. So th there's a long time gap between me having start starting the game and getting to the end of the game now. Though, from what I can tell, I do remember large swaths of the game and definitely Definitely enough to you know, talk about it. Hence why we're here. My history with Star Ocean, as I said, mostly revolves around the other podcast I was doing, RPG Hangout, where I played the game for a review because I was curious. I'm, I've been very curious about the Star Ocean series. It's one of those non-Final Fantasy old RPGs. You know, something that it just you get curious about. Like, what is a game like Star Ocean about? Is it like super non-fantasy and all about space? Or what is it? And I'll tell you that it did not exactly meet what I was expecting. Which is both a good thing and a bit of a sad thing. Because I was kind of hoping for a space-faring RPG. And that is not what I got. In fact, it went in a completely opposite direction of where I thought it was going to go. Because my, my expectations for the game were that, you know, maybe you start on a planet and then maybe you hop from different planets. And since this is a relatively old RPG, how does that work kind of thing? And it, that's not how it works. You you are on one planet for a majority of the game. And it was a little bit disappointing, especially the opening cutscene of the game is like this, like especially when you like first start the game, it's all space. It's like, ooh, look at this starship going from planet to planet and whatnot. Isn't that cool? And you're like, yeah, space stuff. Then the game starts, and again, you get a space cutscene. And you're like, yes. Then you end up on a planet that's primarily fantasy-based. The planet is called Roke, and th this, this game has a very complicated party system. Like, I'm willing to say it's more complicated than Final Fantasy, where... Well, I mean, especially the first Final Fantasy, where you were stuck with just a base party system. But in this game, it's... Closer to like Final Fantasy 7, where you can have party members that you just completely never meet. And in this case, there's like five of them that you can just miss. Otherwise, there's two, two to three additional party members that you'll actually interact with and come across. But otherwise, you can completely miss a ton of characters. And some that are very crucial for the completion of other like storylines. Which made me feel very bad at the end, but we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> oh boy, will we get there. Anywho, you start off with this trio of friends. There's Roddick and his friends. There's Roddick, Millie, and Dorn. These are your starting characters. These are your small village bumpkins just waiting for some kind of disaster to happen. And disaster 
doth happen. So the a bandit attack happens, you know, classic original RPG things, you know, fantasy village gets attacked by bandits, but the village doesn't get burned down. That's nice. But there is a different issue that is starting to spread across Roke, and that is petrification. Now, there is supposed to be a very specific flower up on top of the mountain that can cure the petrification. And it also turns out that your friend Dorn is slowly becoming petrified. At least, theoretically, in my game, he was. I think he is in all games, question mark? I, again, I haven't explored exactly how the party system works in this game. You head up the mountain to try and get this cure, only to be met by... Ronix, Jay Kenny, and Ilya Silvestri. They kind of teleport down onto the planet and talk to Roddick and Co. about what's going on. Basically, all across the entirety of the planet, everyone is kind of becoming petrified because of something. Basically, what ended up happening was a third party in a war has decided to petrify the people of Roke for some reason. And it is seemingly linked to the Archfiend who terrorized the world like 500 years ago. And they are also told that because of the underdeveloped planet treaty thing, which pretty much states that the Federation or whatever they're called, the Alliance, must not you know contact underdeveloped peoples. If they are contacted, they must be separated from their peoples to leave that planet, quote-unquote, uncontacted. Especially since this one's already turning to stone. Technically, it doesn't matter if three people disappear. So, they are taken away, and Dorn is, you know, starting to be treated. And I believe they end up leaving him down on the ground? to Like, in his own bed, I guess? Uh, but anywho, Millie and Roddick join Ronix and Ilya in a time-traveling adventure to go back in time and synthesize a cure from the Archfiend. And this is where things start to kind of get a bit fuzzy. Like, I, I know that they go to a planet that has a warp gate in it. They take that warp gate, and the gate specific has, like... The gate's able to see your intentions on how you're wanting to go, and it deems your cause worthy or not, I guess, is what's kind of implied. But they're sent back in time, but they're separated. And this is kind of, I think, where some of the party mechanics start to shift a bit. And how some of the character dynamics shift. Maybe. It's kind of confusing, again. Like, how things are, are broken up and what you do to actually get stuff done. The game has a surprising depth of systems that it doesn't fully explain. Or necessarily point you in the direction of. And, yeah, we'll talk about that too but while you're journeying to find millie and ronix because at least in my playthrough they are the ones that were together uh separated from you and i think that's how it happens in every game i'm not sure <laughs> but you go and you you know they come to the conclusion that they need to blend in and start using primitive weapons or what they call it because you know they're they're sci-fi people they they have blasters and shit they have to readjust so Ilya becomes a fist fighter, like monk-style person, and Ronix goes bow. Or magic. In my playthrough, he just fucking spammed magic. Relentlessly. And we'll get into the combat system and whatnot later, but yeah, that's... Mm. 
that's an issue. Anywho, as you kind of work your way through, you gain more party members. The ones that I gathered throughout my playthrough were Cyus, C-Y-U-S-S, Yashua, and Mavil. But you could also get uh, Ashley, Fia, Perichi, Tanik, Welch, and Eris. I did not get any of them. But yeah, as far as I can tell, Yashua and Mavil are kind of required in a way because one you encounter them along the way and i think you can turn them down when they want to join your party but at the time i had like no one else so i let them join my party uh Iyashua is probably the funniest slash most depressing one because he's a he's a feather folk who's looking for his sister who was taken by the crimson shield i think he's called and that's kind of your first goal is to you keep hearing about this crimson shield who's been kind of terrorizing the land and doing fucked up shit and that's kind of what you're building towards initially as well as the archfiend um <laughs> down the line but you know you're going through exploring the land you come across Mavel and then you come across Yashua and he has very depressing lines during fights and whatnot and <laughs> He's a little bit harder to level up as a healer, but yeah. Anywho, you progress the story, and eventually you end up going to this temple. And this is like the temple that you've been building towards for a good chunk of the game. And this is also, it's a really, really long temple slash dungeon. It's, it's a bit of a grind. It will drain you through a ton of resources, and this is where I, after I hit, I guess, technically about the halfway point when you are teleported into the more sci-fi portion of this area, I I was worried I was going to start running out of resources, and I felt I was soft-locked because I kept wandering around, and the amount of random encounters that I was hitting just wasn't doing it, and there was, you know... I. I felt kind of backed in the corner. That's where I stopped before I did the review for RPG Hangout. When I came back uh, recently, about a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know what? I want to I want to finish this game. I want to see where I was. Do I actually have to restart, or is there a way out of this issue? And there was. I had to use pretty much every system, you know, provided to me, in order to kind of wiggle out of this situation to be able to work my way back to the beginning of that specific section of the dungeon and work my way out. Basically, what ended up happening was I took a wrong turn. You see, when I play an old RPG, I tend to follow a bit of a guide. At least, I like to have a guide there as a bit of a safety net if I get lost, because a lot of these RPGs do not tell you shit. So you just kind of have to either slap your face against everything around you or you look it up on a guide. So, and I also tend to like to have a guide just to know about my progress through the game. To know if I'm at least, you know, getting close to the end. And funnily enough, this section I was in is actually quite close to the end. Let's see if I can... It's called the Purgatorium Inner Sanctum. That is where I got stuck. Basically, the guide I was looking at pointlessly tells you to go up the stairs and then immediately go back down the stairs and then go a different direction. Now, I think what ended up happening is I read the first line of that, you know, instruction. I went up the stairs, grabbed the thing in the chest, and then just continued on that way, expecting that that was the direction that you go. It's not. They want you to grab the thing from the chest for some reason and then leave, but that's very unnecessary. 
you should just go the other way first. Get the chest when you're coming back around later. It, yeah. Anyway, I pretty much went all the way through that section until I wasn't able to progress any further because I didn't have a red key card. You get the red key card by going the other way first. I ended up getting stuck at the end of the other section, and I was worried I wasn't going to be able to get back with all of my items. So what I ended up having to do, like I said, was use pretty much every system in order to get out. And I guess right now is a good time to kind of explain at least these systems. So the game has a semi-traditional level up system. So like, you know, during your battles, you gain XP, gain enough XP, you level up. With each level, though, you also gain skill points. And these skill points can be attributed to a bunch of different stuff. Now, in order to actually unlock these skills to be able to level them up, you have to buy them at sh uh, skill shops. And in these skill shops, each thing, there's four things, uh, and each of them have three levels that you have to buy. Now, once you get to the end of the game, um, they're just kind of, well, they're almost given to you. Basically, there's one shop that has every skill thing available for purchase. By that point, it's kind of too late. <laughs> I already had everything by that point. But a few of these skills are extremely important for if you end up in a tough area. Familiar, so by using like animal handling and leveling that up, you gain access to a familiar. And this familiar you can send out to, to buy ingredients. Along with that, you need a good knife skill, uh, I think recipe skill, as well as a few other things to do good cooking. Because you can get a bunch of food items that will heal you. Because this game has a very weird arbitrary cap of 20 items. You can only hold 20 of each item. And that, that's probably the, the biggest downside. So that, that's why I ended up feeling like I was kind of softlocked. Because by the time I tried to get back to any kind of stable position, I would be pretty much out of blueberries, which are, are the main uh, healing item, and blackberries, which is what you use to gain MP. I would be out of that. But I was able to use the cooking mechanic to gain enough healing items in a variety of food and enough um, MP items to hold on to the true MVP, Millie. Millie is extremely important to keep alive because she is one of like two characters that actually has the ability to resurrect down characters. So you have to use her ability to resurrect or at least keep her alive because she'll pretty much constantly be spamming out healing spells and resurrection spells if you keep going down. And in this area, it's a bit of a difficulty spike, so you're going to be needing her to heal you and very likely resurrect you. So you keep her topped up on MP, and you also use uh, your skill points to bring down MP cost and raise the amount of MP that she has every time uh, you level her up, and you'll be okay. That's how I wiggled out of my softlock situation by, again, using... I also used, I believe, item creation and appraisal and a lot of things I didn't think I would actually need because this game has a lot of systems in it that you feel might not be useful, but if you're backed into a corner, very useful. <laughs> but once I was able to finally get through the dungeon, uh, the dungeon story-wise shows you that the ancient ones, this ancient civilization that they've been talking about a lot throughout the game is actually a race of humans that very likely got hit by a meteor or something and got teleported back in time and across space to Roke. And, you know, 
they keep trying to use the portal technology to open up a portal back home, but instead they accidentally opened it to a demon realm that just started pouring demons into, into Roke, and causing generally a bad time. Whoops. So, they, after learning this information, uh, they move on. They fight the Crimson Shield uh, when they go to go to the Demon Realm. And they work their way through the Demon Realm and they find this space-time laboratory where they fight the Archfiend. Uh, the Archfiend, after you defeat him, a bunch of people teleport in the third party and they get a sample of the Archfiend's DNA. You don't really do anything about this because that's kind of technically a time-locked thing because the whole reason that they're there is because someone had come back in time, got the Archfiend's DNA, and used it to petrify Roke, etc. You get the Archfiend's sample as well. Go synthesize a um, cure, and everyone on Roke is no longer petrified. Then... It cuts, and you know, so far it seems that everything's wrapped up. You left your party back in the time that they were at, but you went, you know, back home. Everything seems okay, except they've identified who the third party is, the threat that they um, pose. It's being led by a superhuman, and he is trying to pretty much invade Earth. And they've opened up a thing, but... He is a very unpopular dictator, and thus you can need to, they need to send in a team to assassinate him. But he's immune to all conventional weapons, so you you need to use primitive stuff like swords and magic and shit. So they're like, ah, we get it. Let's go get uh, Roddick and Millie, and let's go kill kill the Archfiend. Uh, not the Archfiend. Them. This random guy. What's his name? Uh, his name is G.A. Revorse. You fight him. Well, you, you go through the final dungeon on this planet uh, after you rescue Millie and three... or It's supposed to be like th three others or two others, but since I didn't have a full party, uh, it was just one other person and I, I didn't notice that they weren't part of the... <laughs> they weren't in my party. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> So I thought that only Millie was taken, but nah, uh, it was Millie and Mayville. We go through, rescue them, then go to the final dungeon, uh, and then you just work your way through, and then you fight the big bad. The big bad wasn't too bad of a fight, especially since I, after, you know, the, the purgatorium uh, scenario, I felt like I needed to grind, so I ground everyone up to like the highest level but this you have to be careful how you do it because you could easily fuck yourself over and end up accidentally at the super boss to where you and because of the way that the the music system works if everyone's leveled up too high every playing of the thing that will help you grind um will summon the super boss and you could get fucked easily because there's like one specific enemy that you need to try to spawn that gives you the most XP, especially with XP cards to double it and speed things up. But yeah, that, that's a complicated thing that I, I, I highly recommend looking up a guide. The one I used is on the website Super Cheats. Uh, it's a pretty good guide. gives you a good list of you know the areas and breaks things down decently. But be forewarned that 
a lot of the reference photos that they use might be for screens like three, three or four screens down the line. So make sure you're reading the text carefully for the guide. But yeah, so you defeat him and then we get to the endings. Now the endings change slightly, I guess, depending on who's in your party, what you've done side quest wise, and how many like private moments um, you have had because, or private actions you have had is my guess. Um, because in each city or each like place that you can stop at in the overworld, you can do a private action where you'll go back into the town, have a little t uh, discussion as you're entering and then it'll usually be a discussion about like what's going on in the game. And then you get into the town and you can talk to each character. I have honestly no idea fully what affects the ending. But the ending I got is not considered the canon ending. Because the canon ending is that, um, is that Ilya and Ronix get together. And they have a kid. And that kid is the main character of the second Star Ocean game. It's kind of funny that technically, while they are main characters, not they're not kind of framed as the main characters, um, but they're the ones that get the branch off. But it also kind of makes some sense because they use the the Kenny line of people throughout the Star Ocean games. A descendant. A descendant of his or an ancestor of his is in pretty much every game. And usually they have some bearing on the plot. So the ending I got was where they don't end up together. Because it, it seems like Ilya and Ronix. Sorry, and Ronix. Not Ronix. At least Ilya had some kind of attraction towards uh, Ronix. But Roddick being, you know, classic anime character oblivious didn't notice it. But he also seems to have a thing for Millie. But Millie also might have a thing for Ronix. It's very confusing how how I got that ending. It's just a jumbled mess. But the ending I also got gives you the revelation that Mayville is Iyashua's sister. The reason I didn't go for the full revelation of that, because the way it ends up is uh, Mavel and Iyashua decide to split, you know, part ways, and she decides to stop chasing him. Because she feels that she, uh, he's not going to notice and it's just causing him distress. But he ends up continuing his journey, but is happy that he's been able to kind of break out of his shell and actually start searching for his sister and, you know, talk to people. Now, there is actually a quest in the game, and I looked it up and looked through it because I was confused because during the... looking at some of the, the guide that I was following, uh, Mavel has a different name. And I was like, why does she have a different name? So I looked it up, and the reason she has a different name is because she's his sister, uh, who has a different name. She is She's been in hiding since the attack. Uh, she lost her wings and whatnot, and she's been in hiding since the attack. Uh, but if you go through the revelation kind of plot thread for uh, these two, she'll die if you don't have the right character in the party. Uh, the character you need is Ashley Burnbeld, who's also a character in a different Star Ocean game, the prequel one, I think. But yeah, if... 
if you don't have him in the party, she'll die. She'll get frozen and die. I don't know why, but yeah. And then she'll just not be part of the party anymore. And since, you know, the characters I have were kind of few and far between as it was, I I wasn't going to sacrifice, you know, a decent character, especially if I ended up needing them down the line. Yeah, I, I ended up looking up how you're supposed to get Ashley, and that's going through the arena, uh, and he'll eventually join your party. But yeah, there's just so much content that you can just miss, and sometimes you have to miss. You have to do multiple playthroughs to get, you know, through the rest of the game. And eventually, I feel I will probably go through and do some of that stuff, but as it stands right now, I'm just happy to have finished the game, and I'm ready to start Star Ocean 2. I'm excited for Star Ocean 2. They just recently released it, and they did such an amazing job like doing additional tweaks to it. So it's kind of like First Departure R, but they decided to take it up an extra notch um, to make the full game like 2.5D. Where this game is kind of, sort of, almost, but more like on the PlayStation 1 side of things instead of the the uh, Octopath Traveler side of things. <laughs> but, yeah, the gameplay is pretty fun. The The combat system is, like, semi-real-time. So you you go through and you, like, mash an attack button to attack, and uh, a lot of the time, especially if you've leveled up god speed and whatnot, a lot of the time you'll speed over to the enemies and start attacking. Uh, there's plenty of ambushes and whatnot, but... There is a very annoying situation because every time magic is cast, like a, a proper like magic spell is cast, everything gets interrupted and you have to wait for the animation to end. And if the boss, for example, or a different enemy also tends to spam spells and you have a spellcaster or two, um, about every five seconds you'll get interrupted by a spell it's uh it's a bit annoying at times it's not terrible especially since technically the really long animations give you a bit of time to do something else like check up on the guide um another thing a pretty fun thing actually about the combat system that i found out on accident or kind of is that if the character you're controlling is just kind of standing around the camera will shift over to whoever's actually doing something. So if someone's casting a spell, it'll show them casting a spell. Or it'll go over to the other fighter that's doing something. I found this out because while I was grinding, uh, the kind of strong boss thing that you can summon to grind uh, is resistant to... like. Uh, I think it's resistant is technically the term. The one where they heal by it to elemental weapons. And my main guy, Roddick, had an elemental weapon equipped. So, um, <laughs> whoops. I really should have, um, should have changed that out. And for like a good five rounds, I forgot to change out his thing. So a lot of the time I was just standing around. And it would go over to someone who was actually doing something, which was nice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, the semi-real time's okay, though, 
The lock-on is both necessary and also frustrating at times. The lock-on pretty much means that you hit attack and your character will automatically run and will stay running until they are able to execute said attack, miss or hit. Like, regardless, if they do it and they try to execute it, they will go. Now, the the uh, issue is, like, if you turn it off, then you have to manually run over, which isn't the hardest thing. But the chance of missing tends to kind of increase if if you're not using the lock-on. And so would make it slightly more frustrating if you're not constantly pressing the attack kind of thing. But, yeah, the magic system's okay. I think that overall, for a first RPG, it's both good, because it, like a lot of the progression is relatively linear, um, but you, it can be frustrating for like someone new to an RPG, because... There's no additional vehicles. You have to walk everywhere. You take boats to cross continents. And, you know, as you unlock additional, like, ports, you can kind of go to any port along the coast. But it's... But if the town that you need to get to, say, doesn't have a port, you have to walk to it. So th there's a lot of walking. Though luckily, distance isn't that big of a problem the overall attack systems aren't too hard but a lot of the skill systems could probably be a little bit overwhelming when you're first introduced to them once you get used to them it's fine but again it's a lot overall i would i, I recommend it but maybe if you at least have an rpg or two under your belt maybe ones that have slightly convoluted systems as well like, say, um, if you've played Final Fantasy VIII and you, you're you happy with that, then then I absolutely highly recommend uh, Star Ocean First Departure R. Uh, the, the biggest downsides are the item limits, uh, the constant spamming of spells that tends to happen. Like, you can tell them to stop, but... Why would you have them not do the most powerful thing that they can do, especially when you get them to the point where it's pretty much free, or at least it's super cheap for them to do? You're going to have them spam it. It's the best way to get through some of the bosses. But, yeah, overall, I, I recommend it. And give it a look if you're interested. You know, maybe dip into it for a couple hours, see if you like the systems. But otherwise... You know, maybe steer clear if you're not ready for something slightly convoluted. Like, at first I was thinking, like, oh, you know, this is a pretty good, you know, first RPG for some people. But then seeing that in some cases, if you back yourself into a corner, you need to get very intimate with the systems, like the deeper systems, very fast. Like, a lot of that was kind of important to actually make sure I was properly strong enough to do anything really uh but i think with that we shall call it there uh yeah overall not not too bad this is this has been a bit of a long time coming and i again i probably skipped over a good chunk of stuff in the middle but that's 
a lot of the middle stuff is, you know, classic RPG stuff, you know, just kind of exploring, you know, oh, you know, our ultimate goal is the Archfiend, but, you know, to get there, we have to go all the way over to this continent. But to get to that continent, we have to cross this bridge. But to get to that bridge, we have to go to this town and get the king's permission. To get the king's permission, he needs us to do a different thing. But even to get to the king, we have to get to a different continent, and so on and so forth. You know, classic uh, daisy chain stuff. With that said, uh, next week is probably going to be the Marvels. You know, talking about it at peak ideal time <laughs> when it's probably about to leave theaters soon uh you know like i do but otherwise i have now I'll, i've already talked about this in the last episode but i i'm moving uh, i'm moving away from the outer worlds and i'm focusing on doing something a little bit more punchy and fun and interesting because I just wasn't feeling the outer worlds. So now we are doing Destroy All Humans. Classic PS2 game. A lot more silly humor and stuff actually happening that isn't, you know, a corporate hellscape. Yeah, a good old time. With the voice of Invader Zim along the way. That that's fun, of course. But yeah, with that said. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys enjoyed this, feel free to give it a like, comment, and subscribe if you're on YouTube or if you are on any podcast catcher of your choice. Feel free to rate and review it. Share it with your friends. Just kind of give it to someone. Just tell someone, hey, look, there's this thing you might enjoy. It's a guy rambling about video games. <laughs> He's losing his mind slowly because, yeah. <laughs> but with that said, thank you guys so much for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time. Goodbye.